0: On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Ben McKee from VolQuest.com to help us preview the top 10 showdown at Hawkins Field this weekend between the top-ranked Tennessee Vols and the ninth-ranked Vandy Boys. We also get Ben's scouting report on the Tennessee pitching staff, the rise of baseball in Knoxville under Tony Vitello, and his expectations for the crowd split between the fans in black and gold and the fans in orange. It's Vandy in Tennessee on West End. It's a primetime TV slot at 6 p.m. Central on ESPN2. It's for state bragging rights. The emotions will be high. The garage will be packed, and we'll see a ton of fireworks in the Music City this weekend. We'll see what happens. All that and much more is coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride.
1: At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The music city is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. No strings till the hang comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream. In
0: this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 156. It is March 31st, 2022. We are powered by Fine Finewood floors and will we've got uh, a big series coming up this weekend. Vanderbilt in Tennessee, the number one ranked team of the country, the Tennessee Vols on the baseball side of things. Never thought I'd be saying that, but they're number one for the first time in program history. They make their way over to West End to play Vanderbilt this weekend. Top 10 matchup, but it's not just a top 10 matchup, Will. I mean, these two teams are are very likely uh, to to be in the national championship. You very well could see one of them win it all. So we'll we'll get into the matchup. uh, But, Will, how about the Mount Juliet kid? Ethan Crisp has committed to Vanderbilt. I'm not sure how much you know about him, but we will dive into Mr. Ethan Crisp committing, and we'll also be joined by Ben McKee. Uh, from VaultQuest.com to talk the Vanderbilt-Tennessee matchup, but Will got the Mount Juliet kid committing. Vandy-Tennessee baseball coming up. Uh, vibes are high on on this on this Thursday night.
2: Yeah, and then I remember they changed the logo, and then I'm brought back to reality. When I was looking up and doing prep for this podcast, I was I was there. brought back. But we'll we'll keep happy thoughts going with Ethan Crisp staying in black and gold. So that's that's one of the Mount Juliet kids. Absolutely love uh seeing the local talent stay at Vanderbilt and one little tidbit I think I've said it before on the podcast but there will be other people listening is I I think this story is true I need to, I need to go back and confirm it but to start out the podcast with the reason That Hendersonville and Mount Juliet are both black and gold schools and Hendersonville shifted to more black and yellow and Mount Juliet is a local school here as well in Nashville. Both of these are local schools. Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. donated the old jerseys to those schools and they used those. And so Mount Juliet's colors are actually where I went to high school. It's a local high school about 30 minutes east um, of direct downtown Nashville. I actually, they are the exact same colors. I mean, to the old gold. gold Like, if you matched it, yeah, I didn't have to do much updating when I would go from the (laughs) high school games on Friday night to the uh, college games on Saturday. So, yeah, exactly. But great in-state uh, commitment there, and we'll get more into this recruiting class during the offseason. But Vanderbilt's got two good ones right now in the oh, class in yeah. 2023.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge get, Van, and he's a really, really good player. We'll dive into Ethan Crisp and, and, of course, talk Vandy, Tennessee. Before we get to all that, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And while you're at it, Give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news.
1: No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Finewood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Finewood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on.
0: All right, well, Ethan Crisp, he is staying home once his high school playing days at Mount Juliet are over. The uh, the Golden Bears, the, the former uh, well, not former, he's got one more year there, but uh, from Golden Bear to the Commodores, and well, it's a huge get. Three-star linebacker, number 19 ranked player in the state, number 45 ranked linebacker in the country according to 24/7 Sports Composite. His offer sheet is very impressive. Chose Vandy over offers from Michigan, Ole Miss, Florida, and Tennessee among others. And, and, Will, these are the kind of guys that we talked about a lot in a lot of the recruiting episodes where if Clark Lee can begin to grab these type of players, not just the, the local two stars you know, fr- from from a school, but this is a legitimate three-star linebacker, I think, on the verge of a four-star who should be ready for a breakout year at Mount Juliet his senior year, had a great junior year. Uh, but, Will, he, he's slowly beginning to have an impact in the mid-state and the more of these type of guys you get, the more momentum you build. And, and you know these guys are in group chats. They're friends. A lot of these mid-state guys, and and even a, a guy from Henry County High School, Luke Brown, is another guy. And there's plenty of guys in the mid-state and across the state that see this type of stuff. And so that's where I look at this, Will. Ethan Crisp, I'm not sure how much you know about him and his style of play. Uh, we'll, we'll learn about it a lot. Look, I looked at some of the film. Uh, looks like a really athletic kid. He he might might be uh, end up playing that anchor position. We'll we'll see where uh, where he fits in. He's still got another high school year to bulk up, but man, will I mean th- this this is the type of kid that uh, you know I, Derek Mason would get, but not it wasn't a, a, a it wasn't a uh, you know yearly occurrence. So so this is uh, this is a pretty pretty good start to the 2023 class, I'd say.
2: Yeah, the definition of keeping talent in-state and keeping the mid-state talent in-state. Like I mentioned uh, in the intro there, Mount Juliet is literally... 30 minutes from the campus of, of Vanderbilt here, and he's a three-star. Mount Juliet is not a football powerhouse constantly churning out these guys that are three and four stars, but they're pretty solid program. I would say that that's a lot to do with the style of play and the coaches that they have there, but he's, he's a rangy guy, like you said, that anchor, what Clark is looking for. He's listed at 6'3", 205 on 24-7. I think 205 is probably – Full generous. pads, full pads, a little generous. He's <laughs> definitely not 205 looking at him. But he, like you said, he's got a whole nother year of high school to kind of bulk up. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for those guys that have the frame. They just have to fill out the frame and play those positions. And that seems to be exactly what they're targeting. You said on the verge of a four star, all of his trends related to his ranking on every single site cool just keep going up keep going up and we always talk about when guys commit and at the end of the year we talked about a lot of of what were their offers what other teams are interested in them because a lot of the time that will tell you actually how good of a player they are a lot more than any type of star rating is what teams are giving them an offer and always with the caveat of an offer on 24-7 how much of an offer really is it Mm -hmm. but his offer sheet is impressive it's just, a four-star offer sheet. Yeah. I mean, you have Cincinnati, Florida, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, Memphis, Michigan, Missouri, Olmes, Miss, TCU, Tennessee, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin. He chose Vanderbilt over those schools Auburn I don't know if I mentioned them at the beginning and Derek Mason's defense, but those guys those schools are teams that Vanderbilt in the past does not consistently beat teams out for. So they've done it early. It's, you know, sometimes like Reese Mooney, these guys, you've had them from the beginning, these early commits, you've really been pushing really hard, putting a lot of resources towards them. Can they do this the rest of this class of 2023 and continue to build on the success that they had in 2022? That's going to be the question. So I'm excited, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm not taking this as these first two guys are a complete game changer and every single recruit Mm -hmm. in this entire class is going to be at the level of these high three stars like are in like are in a lot of the 2022 class but they're of course not all at that yeah. level so we'll see how the rest of this plays out but man ethan crisp he's got a lot of potential oh yeah especially in this clarkley defense
0: yeah he reminds me of the hair at least reminds me of clay matthews and and uh maybe not the build yet but uh I, we tweeted that picture out maybe a little look,
2: aj hawk a little, yeah a little, little, uh,
0: little aj hawk action but well the, the common theme with a lot of these guys is development you know and, and they're going to need development and that's likely what you usually see at vanderbilt uh But you look at a lot of these guys and you kind of envision them two to three years down the road. And I think you see what they're capable of, especially under this staff. And so there's going to be a ton of development, but you've got a quarterback in Reese Mooney who who looks to have a lot of potential. And you've got a linebacker slash anchor, maybe a safety in Ethan Crisp, who has a ton of potential as well. So, you know, I think every
2: all the above that you just said, every position is what Clark Leap sees that exactly. anchor as is, is, is yeah, it's literally everything. all of that which is exactly kind of how he plays
0: yeah, Daniel Martin is the same kind of guy, and you mm-hmm. know he, he's been getting work in right now. So, well, just a big get, and, and you know Vanderbilt is going to have to continue to do that. Clark is going to have to, uh, you know, reel in more of those type of guys because that's ultimately, I think, what is going to is going to allow them to take that step up. You know where Tennessee is, and and, and even where you know a lot of the SEC schools are, and, and kind of taking that next edge. So uh, the uh, the old Mount Juliet boy, Ethan Crisp, is uh, is staying home, and uh, he, he's going to end up playing his his college ball at Vanderbilt, but. Uh, uh, so, will great news on that front. Of course, we still got a lot of transfer portal targets to to keep an eye on, and uh, there have been some there has been some news on that front. We'll try to keep Vanderbilt fans updated on that. Uh, maybe in the next podcast, didn't get to look too much into that, uh, but will let's dive into this baseball series. Vanderbilt and Tennessee gets going tomorrow night. Friday night, that'll tip off at 7 – or tip off. I'm still in basketball mode, Will. First pitch is at 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN2. So a prime time slot here for these teams and a great pitching matchup And Chase Burns and Chris McIlvain. Both pitchers undefeated. Burns at 5-0, and McIlvain at 4-0. and Friday night, Will, could be a little bit of a pitcher's duel. I think you could see that. And then game two and three, who knows what's going to happen with some of those other pitchers. But no doubt about it, Tennessee has the pitching advantage – and you got to believe they have the hitting advantage as well statistically, but I really think it's going to come down to who steals more bases on it. It it could, because you look at the, the matchup there, Enrique Bradfield, I think could have a big weekend on the base pass. Will 16 for 16 stolen bases this year, which is incredible at this point in the season, and he stole six bases in one game versus Tennessee last season. So, and that was against one of their better catchers, Connor Pavloni last season. Tennessee's got Evan Russell as a catcher this year. Uh, but well, before we dive into a little bit more, we've got a few stats on this matchup that I, I think are pretty notable. Uh, the Vols haven't beaten Vanderbilt in a series since 2016. And they haven't won a series in Nashville since 2009. So <laughs> Vanderbilt has, uh, under Tim Corbin, has, has owned Tennessee. Uh, it's, it's not even a debate. And that's that's kind of the last checkbox, uh, last box to check for, for Tony Vitello in Tennessee. They've done just about everything. They've made Omaha. They've won a regional. They've won a Super but Vitello has not beaten Tim Corbin, and that's kind of the monkey on their back right now. Uh, but, Will, more than anything, I'm looking forward to this atmosphere. I mean, this this should be one of the best regular season atmospheres at the Hawk, I think, ever, and I'm also looking forward to seeing the fan split. I think Vanderbilt fans should dominate this because of the season ticket holders, especially in the infield but you're going to see a lot of orange. Like There's going to be orange there. I don't know the percentage of what's going to happen, maybe 70-30, 60-40, uh, but you're going to see a ton of orange, especially uh, in the outfield. So, uh, But, Will, here early on, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, obviously, it's going to be packed with emotion because you got Vanderbilt and Tennessee going at it, uh, and Vanderbilt won the series last season, but Tennessee is legit. And Vanderbilt's going to have to be at their best uh, to win this weekend. So uh, I know you might be going Sunday, Will, but uh, what are some of the things you're most excited for this weekend?
2: I am not excited to be sitting inside of the stadium because I will not be doing that. Because the first thing that you look at when looking at this matchup and the excitement around it are the ticket prices. And right now, those tell me that there are going to be quite a few Tennessee fans there. And I think I saw somebody tweet it that anyone with those chair back seats behind the plate, any orange in any of those seats. That's
0: unacceptable.
2: We are gonna. I'm going to write down the chair number I'm going to keep track of it, and we're going to find out who lives, whatever. And Vanderbilt University needs to not sell them tickets anymore. Mm-hmm. A, on a serious note, Vanderbilt University needs to find out who those people are because you're too damn good of a baseball program yep. to be having people sell those tickets, which is obviously what is happening. Otherwise, on vivid seats, tickets would not be 180 plus dollars for the cheapest ticket that, uh, in and the and entire stadium.
0: And that's Vanderbilt fans reselling those tickets. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's what that is. 100%. Yep, that, that is what that is. Yes, it's still a big series, but that's a huge part of this. There, yeah, there's and, some and, and for the Sunday
2: game, and for the Sunday game, there's only one ticket under or one segment of tickets under three hundred dollars each, and the others are <laughs> three hundred six and six sixty seven. So it's a hot ticket, hot ticket in Nashville. I'll be yeah. sitting on the parking garage uh, at the top with the real fans up there. Me and uh, Jacob Scholl, maybe uh, going and watching that one. But got, I mean, yeah, the f- environment, it, it's got the environment feel of a postseason game. Mm -hmm. And that's because it really does have a lot of impact, not just in the SEC East standings, because right now Tennessee is in first place in the East and Vanderbilt's trailing behind them. I think it's two games still. Yeah, two games. So they're still trailing two games. But you said before this podcast that you don't know if Vanderbilt and Tennessee have ever – been in this situation before been both so good at the same time at any sport and you mm-hmm. said maybe basketball i said no they've they've both been pretty good at basketball mm-hmm. at the same time both top 25 like programs this. or or one of them or vanderbilt's been top 25 and tennessee's been towards that number one spot or the number one team both really good these two teams you could legitimately have a prop bet of vanderbilt or tennessee versus the field and the payout would only be like plus 350. Or something like it they're would not crazy. even be an, an insane odds here because Tennessee, actually, right now, and this is the stat I didn't want to give you beforehand, so this is the secret <laughs> here stat. It is. But the odds on favorite to win the NCAA College World Series is Tennessee right now. They're ahead of the entire pack, they're plus 700 right now to win the NCAA wow. College World Series. Number two is Texas at plus 900, and then tied for third is Vanderbilt at plus a thousand. So you have two of the top three most likely teams in the entire country in the same state playing this weekend in nashville
0: it's never and happened. and
2: i do want to i do want to give the honest part of it's two of the actually top five teams because vanderbilt's tied with arkansas yeah. and oregon state as well we don't even have to mention the fact that three out of the top five teams most likely to win the college world series are in the sec and not just that <laughs> but four out of the top six are in the sec because lsu is tied for sixth mm-hmm. with florida state so that is absolutely insane how and you've also got is. Texas. They're just going to beat up on each other all year. Yeah. It's worse than football, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's what it is. It is. It really is. Um, but well it's ridiculous looking at those numbers and the tickets. I mean, I've seen anywhere from two hundred fifty bucks to twelve hundred bucks. It's ridiculous looking at those tickets. Uh, well, the football players will likely be there, make, making some noise over the dugout. So uh, that's going to be another fun scene. The garage is going to be packed with a lot of black and gold and a lot of orange. Uh, so that should be a fun scene. Well, I, I encourage you to, if you, if I know, if you Me can't Me and Jacob,
2: up, if we, if we actually are able to, we'll tweet out something from the door report and I'll put out stuff, but okay. we are going to try to have it, have an actual tailgate on Sunday and set it up with everything in the tent up there in the parking garage. So I if mean, we actually are able to put that together, we'll, we'll definitely put something get, out.
0: Free parking, free tickets, free Can't drinks. Beat it. I mean, Can't <laughs> you, beat it. you cannot beat it. So, uh, But, Will, back to some of the matchups. Chase Burns and Chris McElveen in game one should be unreal. Uh, I mean, I, I really do think game one could be a classic pitcher's duel and the classic Tim Corbin small ball type of game where you see a lot of bunting, a lot of stolen bases, and I think if Vanderbilt can do some of those things, I think they, I think they win game one. Uh, but, Will, they are coming off a series loss in Columbia to South Carolina where Carter Holton in game two did not pitch well. And there, there was some talk about him maybe tipping his pitches. South Carolina would, had, was, was basically on top of, of every single pitch. So we'll see if he has any of that figured out. Uh, but, Will, another thing is I think Dom Keegan has to produce. Dom Keegan is the best hitter on this team. He's one of the best hitters in the country. He's got a 419 batting average for a reason. He's going to have to produce. But another thing is, Will, Vanderbilt is outscoring opponents 85-31 to across the fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, and they need to keep that rolling because it's obviously a trend. So they can score runs in the middle part of that game, I think is going to be a, a key too. But, Will, I think the bottom line is Tennessee right now is the best team in the country. They, they are, undoubtedly. But you've also got Texas, a team that has beaten Tennessee up there. You've got Vandy, a team that they've only lost four games. They lost a series to South Carolina. So there's still a lot that can happen. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Vanderbilt can play small ball and play smart and and beat Tennessee in the way that that they know how they can. I think they win the series. But if they let it get out of hand, if they let Tennessee hit the ball out of the ballpark and and, and take advantage of some of Vanderbilt's young pitching, I think that's where it could get out of hand. Another key, Will, Game 3, Patrick Riley did not he has not started he might he, I think he may have started one game this year but he struck out 14 batters in relief against South Carolina so I wouldn't be surprised to see him in that game three starter role um, but well I, I really do think if Vanderbilt can play some small ball and get Enrique Bradfield involved he's the fastest guy seemingly on the planet I mean there's not a catcher in college baseball that can throw him out uh, so they've got to use Enrique Bradfield to his, to his advantage but he's also got to get on base so, for me, well, those are some of the things I'm looking at in this matchup and saying, hey, Vanderbilt can do this. I think they win. But I haven't seen a Tennessee baseball team this good, It's not going to be easy.
2: <laughs> yeah, this this Tennessee team, statistically, I mean, in almost every category, top of the charts. Yep. And it's not just hitting. That's that's what they've done before. They have a smaller ballpark. The hitting numbers have been out of this world inflated. recently for them. And home runs, and they've been inflated up there. Exactly. And so – I. I want to put some stock into it as the dog opens the door behind you me, go. breaks into the room with his nose, <laughs> but I'll keep going. Tennessee's leading the country in ERA, 1.86 team ERA. They're leading the country in batting average. They're hitting three thirty eight. The only caveat that I want to give to all of this, Tennessee's number one. They look incredible. There is a real possibility that they can come in and is going to be able to beat Tim Corbin in a series for the first time mm-hmm. at the Hawk. They're a very talented team. But before all of this, I want to give the caveat. Why do we not give the caveat? I know baseball's different, but they haven't played anyone. Mm. I mean, I get Other that their than stats. Miss. And Other even than Ole, Ole Miss. Miss they, yeah. They, they, they haven't didn't... even played anyone on this level of an Oregon State outside of Ole Miss. And the only team really on that top tier level that they have played in a real NCAA championship Texas. level team is Texas. And they lost. They scored two runs. So I think Vanderbilt's going to whip their ass. I think they're just uh, that's my prediction and I we're not doing predictions and hey, I are, think Vanderbilt's I, we, going to win this and we are going to. So I don't see the infatuation. I don't get it. I'm a data guy. I haven't watched Tennessee. I haven't watched more than 3 innings total of Tennessee this entire year. Baseball's a numbers game. And I'm looking at the team ERAs of the teams they have hit the ball out of the park and hit these incredible numbers and I'm looking at the batting averages of their opponents and the home runs hit by their opponents. And their opponents are dog shit. And I and they may be really good. There is a real chance this team's really good. But what all I'm saying is we don't know. Mm-hmm. Is they have not proven a damn thing to anyone. And I don't know why this is talked about. I don't know why the gambling market has shifted. I don't know why everyone's talking about it this way. I don't know why they're number one in the country. They don't have a signature win. They don't have anything. So we'll see what happens this weekend. But I think Tennessee fans are putting the cart before the horse. And not looking... At actually what they have done and they're just looking at the stats at the end of the year and it always comes back to earth once SEC play really (laughs) swings into gear everything for every team this is Vanderbilt as well Vanderbilt stats usually Tim Corbin and, and they like to schedule difficult out of conference play and test themselves so it's not as inflated but every power school once they get in their conference play those home yeah. run numbers and that those home run numbers they and batting average there. always go down and somehow that ERA always goes up. So it's always funny to see the excitement Tennessee's going to be good. I don't want to sound like they're just completely overrated. They're number 1 for a reason. Their stats, they're dominating inferior opponents for a reason because they're good. But I feel like there's this kind of undertone that Vanderbilt's somehow an underdog here. And no Vanderbilt and Tim Corbin and this team is an underdog to no one this is the Alabama of baseball Alabama does not go into games ever thinking of themselves as an underdog I know this Tim Corbin team is absolutely not going in thinking of themselves as an underdog so I expect them to come out focused and I expect that to light a fire underneath them of the questions being asked
0: and now you've got a chip on on your shoulder if Mm -hmm. your vanity will that that chip is there And I I, I do agree with you because I think the main reason that all this hype has been built is Tennessee fans. Like that—that's that, literally, that's literally the main reason behind all of this. Because God forbid they're the number one team in anything; they could be the number one team in women's bowling, and I think they would—they would pack out the bowling arena. Oh uh, no, in, in, no, the- it's
2: a good thing, and that's—I'm not hating on that at all. I wish Vanderbilt fans no, in a is, way. No, it, is. This, it is, is. this is this is the one thing the I always—I hate Tennessee. I hate it. I hate their fan base. I hate how they are. I've grown up around it my entire life, and that's very well known. I am in a way jealous of. In the same way that what makes them horrendous to deal with in the way why I hate them, because they're all fat, they're all unintelligent, they're all... Like, if you look at the average Vanderbilt fan at a game and just pick the median Vanderbilt fan compared to the median Tennessee fan, the median Tennessee fan is 50 pounds heavier and their IQ is 50 points lower. (laughs) But I'm envious of the way that they support their teams while they're winning. Vanderbilt does it to an extent. You saw it a little bit with basketball when they played a little better at the end of the year. But comes, we're almost taking for granted right now a little bit the Vandy boys. I know me and you aren't. But in general, there is a set diehard that really appreciate what we are watching in that Vanderbilt legitimately has the best program in the country. It's not that... They had a couple of years where they were number one or they won a national championship in baseball. They have been the best program in college baseball for years. They've been producing the most in, in, or, uh, MLB, MLB talent. Yeah. Good grief. It's still report after dark here. It's late. <laughs> and they have been consistently competing for national championships for longer or as long as any team in the country at the highest rate of any team in the country. So, they're going to go into this game with that confidence Mm -hmm. and Tennessee fans are also going to be a, there are going to be a lot of them in the hog. And I don't want to say that, but when I look at those ticket prices, it screams a lot of orange in those seats. And I would be shocked. You said 70, 30, 80, 20. I think it'll be more 50, 50, Billy. I think you're very wishful.
0: We'll we'll see. Uh, I was only saying that because of the season ticket holders that do have access to a lot of those gold seats, but if they're selling them, that's that's I have had
2: season tickets to football for since I was 5 or 6 years old and let me tell you those Vanderbilt season ticket holders if there is one thing they like to do it is sell tickets Profit. to the opposing fans for big games. They love it because is, you know that, what the prices of those chairbacks with baseball. the required with the required donation in that amount let's just face it people that graduate from Vanderbilt University and go on to make a ton of money in whatever industry they are that can afford those chairback seats are by default going to rarely be very high-level sports fans because likely they're not, you know, I'm not trying to say anything they're, derogatory. They're
0: doctors, but they're professors. Yeah, and that's
2: they're... not Yes, they're not who you think of as a sports fan, and that's most of Vanderbilt's graduates. So you have these people buy the seats just because they come to one or two games a year and they like to have the seats and the money's not a thing, and then they just sell or give away the rest. Mm. And that's what's happening. I think more than anything, more than the selling, that's just limited stadium capacity and a lot of people wanting to go and opposing fans wanting to come in, is that it's not even the selling. I just think Vanderbilt season ticket holders for the most part, especially in those chairbacks, are giving them away.
3: Yeah. I don't
2: think that I, I don't think it's a resell market. I don't think you're gonna find a paper trail of them profiting this grandiose amount because if you buy those chairbacks with the amount you have to pay. Mm-hmm. the money's it's, probably not a huge huge issue now the people no. in the outfield and where i sit for football games now that is people buying tickets and selling yeah. them for profit but when you see orange directly behind them in directly behind vanderbilt in that shot when they're on sec network or ESPN plus or whatever it's airing on vanderbilt just needs to not sell those people those tickets anymore yeah, no, I'm, because I'm with that's you. I'm that's with insane you. man
0: and will here that, that leads me right into my next uh point it's Maggie Corbin wrote a letter to infield season ticket holders. I don't know if you saw it, but credit to Murray Harris for posting this on Twitter. Here's the letter from her. It's not super long, but here's what she said. She said, hey, fellow inner bowlers, the the inner bowl of, of Hawkins Field, the infield is the heartbeat of our crowd and is where the loudest sound resonates. You know the importance of filling those seats. It is the most visible show of support, not only for our fans watching at home, but more importantly for our players. They see this, but also feel it. Please, 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 if you are not going to use your tickets, either give them to another Vandy supporter or please let us know so we can get them to Vandy students, local organizations, or other Vandy fans. Not just the weekend games, but for every game. These boys work hard and want to see every seat filled. Tim and I thank you for supporting Vanderbilt Baseball and helping us continue to fill the stands. Thank you so much, and anchor down Maggie Corbin. She shouldn't have to do that, but... I think that tells you how much she cares about this program and the influence that she has and can have on the players and fans. We'll see if, if Vandy fans follow suit on this and a lot of those donors uh, you know, we'll see if it's 50, 50, if it's 60, 40, whatever. Uh, But nonetheless, you see the effort from, from, Coach Corbin's wife, Maggie, and she's been involved with this program ever since he got there. And, you know, like they they talk about being a family. I mean, she's the mom of uh, the second mom of a lot of those guys. Tim Corbin's the second dad for a lot of those guys. So that was that kind of went right in long. It it may it may not do anything. Will, but at the same time, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll see if it's a 50 50 crowd, what the garage is going to be packed. That, that that's 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 a no doubter uh, but I still think they, they need to expand Hawkins Field I really do whether that's opening up the football stadium have having people stand up there maybe putting a set of bleachers on top of Memorial Gym maybe expanding right field <laughs> maybe expanding right field and because and, you got a little bit of space out there in that parking lot in right field be creative get creative I know they have ideas but I don't know how safe Memorial Gym would be the bleachers up there will but there's a little the bit of a train
2: is finally but, by Billy. So, oh, no, okay. it's not.
0: As no, it's in. coming back, but well, I, I really do just think that there is room. You know, there's not a lot, but for, for Vanderbilt baseball, as, as a top program and arguably the best in, in, in college baseball in the last two decades, they deserve the best atmosphere in the country. They really do. Now, Vanderbilt baseball, Vanderbilt fans probably will never create that. You've still got programs like Mississippi State, LSU and Ole Miss and other programs that will, but there are things you can do and, and, and at the disposal of, of this administration. And, you know, we'll see if they're going to follow suit. We'll see if Vandy fans uh, listen to Maggie Corbin. It, you know, it might've been too little too late. I'm not sure when she wrote that, uh, but well, I think that's kind of a sign of, okay, they understand it. Tim Corbin knows this. He knows people are selling their tickets, especially in the infield. Maggie Corbin knows it. Uh, but we'll see what, what, uh, what the crowd looks like. That, I, I, I'm really excited for the game, Will. But right as that game starts, I'm really looking forward to the crowd shots to seeing how much black and gold is in there and how much, how much orange is in there.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. So you know that I am baseball is by, definitely my third favorite sport, and I hide that in no way that once everything is finished up with basketball, then I shift my focus to baseball. So it's not Vanderbilt baseball beating Tennessee in and of itself. It is the fact that Vanderbilt baseball has to beat Tennessee in this series this weekend because, man, it's all we've got. And that's, that's where I'm sitting, is right now there is one definitive program that is undeniably better than Tennessee. As a program overall and and Tony Vitello has done a great job regardless of what you think of him pulling Tennessee and putting them in the position where they're a true national contender national powerhouse right now this year now if they do this for the next six seven eight years then they'll be competing with Vanderbilt to be the program but Vanderbilt won the national title in 2014 and that was a decent little time coming as well so Mm -hmm. they need to put together a stretch here but this series would be a stepping stone of Tony Vitello not just putting together some really good national championship contending seasons, but putting together a national championship contending program. And so Vanderbilt needs to set the record straight. And it was there, there's going to be a lot of Tennessee fans that are going to be quite unbearable to deal with.
0: All right. Well, let's let's get into predictions here. Let's let's close it out before we get to uh, Ben McKee from VolQuest.com. Vanderbilt and Tennessee coming up. They'll get started tomorrow night. Uh, That is Friday, first pitch, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the SEC Network. And then Sunday will be a 2 p.m. Eastern Time first pitch on SEC Network. Plus, Will, I talked about it earlier. I think game one, whoever wins game one, wins this series. And the reason why is because I I think Vanderbilt is going to do the things that they need to do to get done in order to win this series. I I think Friday night, I just, I just think – that I think it's going to be a classic Corbin small ball game. I think it's going to be a two-to-one type game, maybe 3 to hell, maybe even one-nothing. I think Vandy wins game one. I think Carter Holton may struggle game two. I think Tennessee ties the series up. And then game three, it's – you put all the chips on the table. I think Vandy's going to bring in the flamethrower Patrick Riley and, and shut Tennessee down. I think it's going to be a great series. It's going to be electric. The crowd is going to be great, Will. Uh, but I got Vanderbilt winning this series two games out of three. This could go either way. Uh, I, I could see Tennessee winning the series two to three. Uh, unfortunately, I could, st- I could see Tennessee sweeping, but I also could see Vanderbilt winning this series. Like It is one of the toughest series to pick, but I do have Vanderbilt winning two out of three. Not super confident, but I think it can happen. It's going to start with a Vanderbilt game one win. So, we Will, give it your best shot. I know you already revealed it, uh, but here, here's, <laughs> your, here's your pick uh, for Vandy Tennessee this weekend.
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty much giving the same pick, two out of three games, but I'm saying it with, there's going to be a couple decisive victories in there. And I and I don't think that Vanderbilt's going to, I think Tennessee will score at least two runs in every single game of the series. I don't see Vanderbilt's pitching in defense and defense, and especially with the bullpen, and Uh, whatever's going on with Maldonado and the quad whatever that is I don't think
0: he's not going to be able to go this yeah
2: and so if Christian Little is able to go maybe we'll see but the depth of the bullpen yeah that was non-injury related but Tennessee's going to be able to score and they just are but I think what is mostly inflated about Tennessee's statistics is I think their batting average that's going to drop down from 338 you know more of a normal range once they get their SEC play home runs are going to go down because they're going to play more games on the road and they're going to play better pitching. But the most inflated thing is right now with the one eight, six ERA. And that's what is just not going to stay Vanderbilt's going to have to score some runs, but I think they're going to be able to, I, I don't think this pitching staff, I think they're good. I don't think they're great from Tennessee. And like I said, everything that I'm saying is solely off statistics. I'm not even trying to put out that I've watched Tennessee a lot of Tennessee baseball I don't want to come off as that but everything when you look at their pitching stats versus the teams that they have performed so well against it is the bottom barrel teams on their schedule are the ones that are boosting their stats mm-hmm. so intensely and when they've played these better teams they've been a lot more realistic scores as far as tightness of games and then of course giving up the seven runs in a one-off game to Texas but and then they had the series against Ole Miss and that they I wouldn't say dominated, but they they won pretty handily, and I think that is what has opened the eyes and built this confidence. But Ole Miss ain't Vandy, and that's it. It's kind of like if you go and you beat Auburn, and then you got to go play Alabama, and you say Alabama ain't Auburn. It's a different step up in competition and pr- just the overall program expectations. Of Vanderbilt has the expectation, kind of like in a long stretch of Tennessee football before a little bit of the James Franklin, a little bit of Derek Mason of. If you lose to if you lose to this team, that's just something that is not done. If you lose to this team and your rival that's three hours away, either east or west, whatever yeah. program it is, that's where Vanderbilt is right now. So that's my expectation. We'll see. We'll see it how it plays out, Billy. We'll see. But you've watched more than me, and you seem to be less confident, so it's making me waver in my confidence as hey. well because uh, you're the go-to guy here on baseball.
0: Well, it will we will see. I'm just excited. I'm excited to see the atmosphere. It's Tennessee-Vandy. It's, it's the rivalry that I think is heating up and going to heat up even more, especially in baseball. Big for the state of Tennessee in college baseball, uh, but can't wait. It all starts Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, first pitch. There's your predictions. But, Will, coming up, we've got Ben McKee from VolQuest.com to preview uh, th- this matchup from the Tennessee side of things. So we've got ben, Ma- ben McKee coming up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Welcome back into The Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and uh, I'd like to now welcome in Mr. Ben McKee. He covers Tennessee for VolQuest.com. He will be in Nashville this weekend for Tennessee Vanderbilt. Uh, you got to believe it. I mean, this is the biggest series of the weekend around the country, Ben, and you're covering Tennessee baseball better than anybody else right now, so you, so you're the best uh, the best guy to have on for this. Thanks for taking the time. How excited are you to, to to cover this one this weekend?
3: Yeah, well, first I appreciate the kind words. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, really excited about this weekend. Still trying to get my skis underneath me after last weekend, uh, going from uh, number five Tennessee at the time to to number one Ole Miss, and all the energy that went into that series and. Uh, Traveling to Oxford and then now turn around quickly and uh, it's number one Tennessee versus number nine Vanderbilt and I never thought I'd see a series where uh, Tennessee was not only the higher ranked team but the the number one team in America. I never thought I'd see that. So it's been a lot of fun to cover this program the last couple of years and and see its growth and uh, I know fans will will really get a kick out of this weekend. It's it's just great for for baseball in the state of Tennessee. Uh, Great for the rivalry, in my opinion, uh, there's no reason that Tennessee and Vanderbilt both can't be great at baseball at the same time and have a nice little rivalry, as we've already seen under Tony Vitello.
0: No doubt about it. And uh, it seems like Vitello, he's formed a few rivalries around the SEC, and uh, you know I think that's great for baseball in the state of Tennessee. It's great for for baseball in the SEC. But more on that topic uh, of of baseball in the state of Tennessee. What clicked with with Vitello, Ben, in this program? It seemed like okay. Vitello's hired. They're they're on the up and up, but it seemed like a couple of years ago there's something that clicked with this program in in Knoxville, and you, you, you kind of started to feel the the momentum of this program. So was there something that changed? Obviously, you started recruiting really well, uh, but was there one thing that you noticed uh, w- within that program that kind of helped elevate them to, to where they are now?
3: Well, I, I think the biggest thing is, to me, maybe I'm exaggerating too much, uh, but for for lack of a better way of phrasing it. I've always felt that Tennessee baseball was a sleeping giant just because at a place like Tennessee, you have the resources to be great in any sport that you want. Uh, and, and also there's great high school baseball in the state of Tennessee. There, there's a nice recruiting base in the state of Tennessee. Vanderbilt is well aware uh, of coming into Knoxville in, in Tennessee's backyard and and getting some guys to, to come over to West End and three hours from Atlanta, a couple of hours away from Charlotte and North Carolina, the South Carolina as well, has been kind to Tennessee. Uh, you're in the South where baseball is is as popular as it gets. So just the recruiting base and also the University of Tennessee just having the resources to be good in whatever it wants to be good in, it just needed to find the right guy. And, and also, it needed to be backed as well. Uh, for so long, the baseball program has been neglected, And even to a certain extent, it was neglected under Tony Vitello. But now, because of Tony Vitello's success, uh, a lot of prominent boosters, people throughout the state, they're pitching in, they're wanting to help Tennessee baseball uh, become one of the premier schools in the SEC, similar to what Tim Corbin has built at Vanderbilt, uh, Bianco at Ole Miss, Van Horn at Arkansas. There's a lot of people that have bought into Tony's vision now, and, and they want to help him reached the status of of some of these other SEC powers. And and for Tony individually, I think what made it a great fit was that, A, he was a great recruiter, and and based off of where Tennessee baseball was as a program, just completely irrelevant, they had to get a guy who was a dynamite recruiter. And and he's been dynamite on the recruiting trail uh, since he got to Tennessee, uh, taking Alrick Solari, who was a big bat for Tennessee, in the early years of of Tony V uh, away from Arkansas. Uh, Garrett Crochet uh, out of Mississippi uh, over Texas, and and Garrett Crochet goes straight to the professionals and doesn't throw a pitch in the minor leagues. Uh, So they were able to get some of those guys early, and and they've been able to build on that. But the recruiting and then the edge that Tony has to him, Tony Vitello is a good dude. Uh, He just wears his heart on his sleeve more so than, than most people are willing to do so, which is why you see uh, the the rivalries that, that you referenced that have kind of been created since he got here. But Tennessee baseball needed a recruiter and they needed a guy that had an edge and had a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Missouri, where Tony is from, coached at, he's from St. Louis. He, he was an assistant coach at Missouri when they had Max Scherzer. They decided not to hire him. And that really put a chip on his shoulder. So sleeping giant, chip on the shoulder, recruiter, a whole lot of energy. I think that's why it's been a really great fit. We talked about Vitello and the program, but I want to get into the
0: fans and uh, Tennessee fans have, I think it's taken them a little bit to, to get around to this program, but they're, they're all in now. They're, they're all in. And, and it's, it's been, I mean, unique. I, I don't, I don't know if, I, if I've ever seen Tennessee fans associate themselves with the baseball firm the way they are. I mean, maybe I've, of course, you know, back in, back in the old days with you had players like Chris Burke and um, you know, some of those guys under Delmonico, but right now are you surprised the way they're the, the, the way they're rallying around this team of course the number one team of the country uh but but the way they're doing it uh, does this surprise you with uh, with Tennessee fans right now
3: no and I know Vanderbilt fans don't want to hear this but I mean Tennessee fans are some of the most passionate fans in the country almost to a fault so uh if you give them a, a reason to, to show up and show out they're, they're going to because they are passionate about the university of tennessee and they're passionate about the power t and and the baseball program itself is somewhat to blame as to kind of where the fan interest was when tony v was hired the the administration had neglected it for so many years the previous administrations uh that that was part of it if the administration is neglecting it the, the fans are too because the the on-field product was just quite frankly crap. I mean, it, why show up and support that when it's just it, – it was awful. Uh, so I, I don't think it's so much Tennessee fans being bandwagon fans. It's just why why show up and support something that the own administration is not supporting. So that that's why you had a dip there. Fans were really in love with Rod Delmonico back in the day and Todd Helton, Chris Burke, like you mentioned, Luke Hochaver, some of those other guys – uh, and, and they've come back around again, we're in the South. So I think that helps with the baseball aspect of things. Um, and, and you're right. They, they are in love with Tony Vitello. They, they like Josh Heupel. Uh, it, it's early, but they, they're big fans of Josh Heupel. They love Rick Barnes. Uh, they really like Kelly Harper. The weeklies have been around forever. Now it's just Karen. But out of everybody, The baseball coach at the University of Tennessee is the most popular, and part of that is because of what football has been the last decade or so, but he could run for mayor, or maybe even governor, and he would probably win. (laughs) They're they're in love, and he embodies Vault Twitter, too. I mean, I know you're well aware of Vault Twitter. Yes, he he is the human version of Vault Twitter, so he fits
0: right in. Yeah, he's fed right into it. And it's been a perfect situation. But uh, Ben, I got to ask, how much do you have a sense on how much orange is going to be in at Hawkins Field this weekend? Uh, Obviously, tickets are I've seen uh, 1200 bucks. I've seen 600 bucks. I mean, it's ridiculous. So um, obviously, there's tons of Tennessee fans in Nashville. So do you have any sense on how much orange is going to be in there this weekend?
3: I really don't. I mean, I know Vanderbilt shows up really well for, for baseball games, uh, so I, I think it's going to be hard for, for Tennessee fans to grab some of those tickets, but I, I do expect a nice contingent of orange. Maybe – I don't. I honestly don't know. I was thinking about this yesterday. I mean, maybe 50-50, uh, maybe 60-40 Vanderbilt. Uh, I, I don't have a great feel for it. I know that a lot of people are trying to get tickets, and the prices that you just mentioned will probably dissuade people from, from being able to go. Uh, so maybe that plays a, a role and, and Vanderbilt is able to have the edge because of season tickets and, and whatnot. Uh, but I would expect the outfield to to, to have a good chunk of orange. I, I'm not going to say that Tennessee fans are, are going to come in there and just take over. But it also wouldn't surprise me because th- this this team is or these fans are just absolutely in love with this team right now in the program as a whole.
0: I, I gotta tell you, Ben. If you get any questions about tickets, uh, the the parking garage out in right field is is not a bad place to watch the game, and it's free. So uh, there's a little advice to any fans if they're asking. But um, I want to ask you about from from Vitello's perspective. Let, let's get in kind of the Vandy side. Uh, who are who are the guys you know that that you
3: think that could cause some problems for Tennessee? What makes me feel good from Tennessee standpoint is the inexperience on the mound for Vandy uh, with. with Saturday and Sunday, it looks like, with Carter Holton and Bryce Cunningham, just with them being inexperienced. I was in Oxford, so didn't really get to watch Vandy and South Carolina in depth, but it seemed like their inexperience is what got them in trouble over the weekend. So I think that's advantage Tennessee. But to answer your question, with Carter Holton being a lefty, that's something that immediately stood out to me because Tennessee somewhat struggles with lefties. Statistically speaking, the, the, the numbers may allude to them, being able to hit lefties. But the point that I'm making is that it kind of drops off. I guess you could say significantly from righties there's a a distinct difference, at least to the naked eye, that, Hey, Tennessee doesn't hit lefties uh, as well as they do righties, which is the the case for most teams. Uh, But Luke Lipsius, Tennessee starting first baseman, who's been around forever. uh, He typically really struggles against lefties uh, and and that could be an, an issue. So that was something that stood out to me right off the jump. And, And the other thing, and this is more Tennessee as a whole and not Vanderbilt-specific, but the the catcher situation with Evan Russell is a big question mark. Uh, He's not Yadier Molina back there, but he's also been pretty good at blocking balls and and receiving balls and and stealing strikes, according to the team. Uh, One of the pitchers commented recently, I believe it was Redmond Walsh, said that Evan steals a lot of strikes. His and, and that statistic is really good. So he's doing those things well. It's the the throwing runners out that he kind of struggles with. And obviously, Enrique Bradfield Jr. at the top of that lineup, the fastest guy in the country, uh, we, we saw him have success last year on the bases against Connor Pavloni, who was a sixth or seventh-round pick in the MLB draft and, and a great defensive catcher. So uh, the speed on the bases, particularly – with Enrique is something that I'm sure is keeping Tony Vitello up uh, Thursday night going into the weekend. Uh, Because again, Evan hasn't been a problem behind the plate. He's just not going to throw anybody out because he's new to the position. Tennessee was put in a bad spot when they, they got a transfer catcher from West Virginia and then he gets here and he decides that he doesn't want to play baseball anymore. That leaves a big hole Evan Russell volunteers to, to switch positions and he's done great given the circumstances, but he's not a game changer. He's not Yadier Molina back there. He's not going to throw anybody out. So if Vandy can get going on the bases, that could really present some problems for Tennessee.
0: I also think of the other side, Vanderbilt has a similar situation with Dom Keegan. He played first base last year. Now he's behind the plate. And Vanderbilt, the two catcher, the catcher matchup last year, C.J. Rodriguez and Connor Pavlone, uh for Vanderbilt Tennessee was great, and now you got a lot different. Evan Russell and Dom Keegan, a couple guys that. So I think either both sides base running. I think whoever kind of gets the edge on that might have the edge on the series. We'll see how that goes. But uh, I want to ask you now about Blade Tidwell. Tidwell came back. He pitched against Western Carolina last night. Uh, how much of that, you know, how much did he pitch and and how much of him
3: do you do
0: you expect to see this
3: weekend? He threw one inning. Uh, I believe it was 20 pitches, uh, 13 of which were strikes. And it, it was bad, but it was also good. I mean, it was his first outing of the year. So the results weren't going to really matter. But he was greeted with a triple that he said he left a fastball over the middle of the plate. He just missed his spot. Uh, and then the next guy, who Tony Vitello uh, really spoke highly of, the Western Carolina hitter, his name is escaping me. He, he said that he can flat-out hit for any team in the country. And Blade threw an 0-2 slider, and it was a good pitch. The, the hitter just was a great hitter and mm-hmm. did great hitter things to it and hit a double down the line and scored a run. And then Blade bounced back. He got a ground ball. It was an error, so he had first and third, no outs. But then he comes back. Strikeout, strikeout, pop up the center to get out of the inning. So it was kind of up and down. Uh, But he looked fine given the circumstances. Again, the the results didn't really matter uh, against Western Carolina. It was just all about getting him out there. And his fastball was up to 96, 97, probably sat 94-ish most of the inning. Uh, and, And he's a guy that last year routinely sat 96, 97, 98 all throughout his outing, from the first inning to the seventh inning. Uh, so the velo wasn't there consistently like it was last year. But, again, you don't expect it to be. Uh, and once he got his slider going and, and once he started spotting his pitches, he he looked like last year's Blake Tidwell. I don't expect him to pitch a ton this weekend. He's obviously not going to start. Uh, I, I would imagine that he gets an inning at some point, uh, maybe a little more than an inning or or maybe – a situation where, like, he throws on Friday then throws on Sunday. But even that, I don't think that we would see that this week because Tennessee played on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. So he pitched on Wednesday and then throwing on Friday and Sunday would would be quite a bit. So I I think, if I had to guess, we'll we'll see him once, and and it'll probably just for for an inning, unless he comes in, like, in the ninth with two outs and tries to steal an out or something like that.
0: Well, in, in terms of Tennessee pitching, speaking of pitching, you got a guy like Chase Burns going on Friday night. Chase Dollander going uh, on Saturday and then Drew Beam going Sunday. And then you also got, uh, quote, unquote, the volunteer firemen uh, coming in there late, uh, probably maybe all three games. Uh, so with that pitching staff for Vandy fans who may not be super familiar with what they're going to see this weekend, what can you tell us about the staff and, and how much they've impressed you and, and the rest of the country that, uh, for, for that matter?
3: They are all future professional pitchers. And, look, I know Vanderbilt is is well aware of professional pitchers. I I played high school baseball with Kyle Wright, and I consider Kyle Wright one of my good friends. So I'm well aware of the lineage of of Vanderbilt pitching. And and it's funny how the the, the conversation for this particular year has flipped. Last year it was was all about Kumar and Jack going into the weekend, and this year it's about both chases – and Drew Beam, and then Blake Tidwell, obviously returning as well out of the bullpen. Ben Joyce, like you mentioned, uh, so the the not narrative, but the conversation has flipped, and I, I find that interesting. I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around Tennessee being this good at baseball going up against Vandy. I'm, I'm not used to it, and, and Tennessee <laughs> same here, on same here, on man. paper, statistically having the, the better pitching staff. I can't wrap Crazy. my my mind around it, but they're, they're all. Uber talented. Chase Burns, the Friday night guy, he should not be in college. <laughs> he, 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 he reminds me of Kumar Rocker. He reminds and he's pitched better than Kumar in, in his first season. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I, I think it was actually Tony, if I remember correctly, that made that comparison last night or earlier this week in in an interview to where he reminds him of, of Kumar's freshman season. And yeah. I think Kumar got off to a little bit of a slow start, his yeah. freshman year. Whereas Burns has been lights out from from the jump. Uh, Against number one Texas a couple of of weeks ago in Houston, he was dominant. Friday against Ole Miss, one of the best hitting lineups in the country, absolutely dominant, and and he's a guy uh, very similar to to Tidwell, just more polished at his age. Uh, Upper 90s, touching upper 90s in the seventh, eighth inning, filthy slider, nice cutter, nice changeup. I mean, he's just, again, he shouldn't be in college. He shouldn't. The fact that Tennessee got him not to go in the draft and will get him for three years is remarkable. And Chase Dohender, very similar mold. He's a Georgia Southern transfer. And since they picked up his commitment when they left for Omaha last year, he's been a guy that they view as a future first-round pick. And and he certainly has the stuff to be. Uh, He was pumping 99 all throughout his outing against Ole Miss over the weekend. I, I believe he still leads the SEC. And strikeouts and is second in the nation in strikeouts per game. He has filthy stuff, uh, a filthy slider as well. Now, this is where, if if you're a Tennessee fan, you're really concerned, is when Dolander is pitching, he is an exceptional pitcher. But if a runner gets on base, he is slow as molasses to the plate. And I promise you, Enrique Bradfield could steal second and third (laughs) at the same time before he delivers one pitch. So that'll be something Chase needs to, to be good about this weekend. Obviously, he has stuff that, guys, it's hard for them to get on base in the first place. Uh, but he's really talented. And, and he had not been as efficient as they expected right out of the gates. Uh, but against Ole Miss, he put it all together. Ole Miss this past Saturday was his best performance of the year. He was super efficient. And then Drew Beam's been the, the absolute biggest surprise on the team for me. Uh, he just kind of came out of nowhere because of his high school circumstances, uh, he's from Blackman there in the midstate played quarterback. Junior year didn't pitch because of COVID, canceling the season. Then he had Tommy John going into his senior year, so he had to pitch in two years. Then he shows up in, in fall camp or fall ball and, and starts generating some buzz. That leads into preseason practice, and then a week or so before the season, it's like Drew Beam's going to be your starter on Sunday, and, and it's kind of out, of out of nowhere. Where did this kid come from? And he's only continued – to impress. He sits mid nineties, has a filthy slider as well. And he just pounds the zone with, with strikes. And that's the thing with this whole group against Ole Miss, all three of them combined for, for one walk. And they all pitched into the seventh and eighth inning. Um, Chase Dollinger threw a hundred pitches, 80 of them were strikes. Uh, Drew beam, I think it was 90 pitches, 61 were strikes. So they just pound the zone and they just have really good stuff to back it up. And then, you asked about Ben Joyce. He just comes in and throws 102, 103. breaking pitches. At, right. And as good as his fastball has been, I've been more impressed by the slider and the changeup. The slider, he hasn't commanded it well yet, but you see the break on it. And once he finds that command, it's completely over for hitters. And the changeup is already filthy. Falls off a table throwing at 92, 93 after a one Oh four fastball. He, he is just, he's different. That, that's the best way to describe it's,
0: him. As you're talking, it's, it is hard to wrap your mind around a lot of, you know, this pitching staff, because I mean, I don't, there's definitely not a pitching staff in the country right now, like Tennessee. I don't, I mean, historically, I don't even know if there is, it, it, it's, it, at least so far the numbers they're putting up now, you know, it's still a lot of baseball to play. Uh, but Ben, I'll end it with, with this. Tennessee hasn't beaten Vandy in a series since 2016. They haven't won in Nashville since 2009. What's it going to take to get that monkey off their back and kind of say, okay, here we are, we've arrived. And, you know, it, it, because beating Vandy, if you got and beat Vandy after sweeping Ole Miss in Nashville, that's sending a message. So so what's, what's it going to take for, for, for Tennessee to, to get the win this weekend?
3: Yeah, I, and look, they're going to show up with that attitude that you just described. Uh, th- that is part of what makes this team so great is that they, they have an edge to them. They have an attitude. They take on the personality of, of Tony Vitello, uh, and, and they, they don't care who you are. They, they're just going to go out there and play their game, and they're, they're going to chirp while they're doing it. And if you don't like it, oh, well, get them out, and they won't chirp. Uh, but for them, I, I mean, it, it starts with the pitching to me. Uh, and I do think that they have the edge in the pitching, and, and that's the difference in the series going into it for me. Uh, just the experience, well, I guess. Tennessee doesn't have much more experience than Vanderbilt when you consider that a true freshman on Friday and, and a true freshman on Sunday. But we just haven't seen them have a, a poor performance yet. And at some point, it'll come. Especially for a freshman, surely they can't maintain this for the entirety of a season I, I'm sure we'll see a slip up at some point Vanderbilt is certainly capable of doing so but to me against Vanderbilt on the road Chase Burns has to continue doing what he's doing and I have 100 percent confidence that he will Drew Beam is the one that just continues to surprise and, and it feels like okay when, when is he going to slip up when, when is the shoe going to drop with Drew Beam and it just hasn't yet maybe, maybe that's this weekend maybe he doesn't at all but if, if they continue to pitch and Chase Dolander continues to become more and more efficient kind of in between those two, uh, then, then they'll be fine for the, the rest of the way. Uh, There's still a lot of baseball left, like like you said. Um, but the bullpen also need, needs to, to maybe tighten up just a little bit. Camden Sewell has been their top guy out of the pen, and he's been a little shaky lately. He's the one that gave up the three run home run against Ole Miss on Sunday that made it a one run game and Tennessee nearly lost the Sunday game. He he hasn't been able to spot uh, his breaking ball or spot his fastball and then be able to get hitters out on his filthy slider. Uh, So I I would, that's what I would kind of point to. I expect the the offense to do what it's been doing. They have too much talent, too much depth. Uh, I do recognize that Vanderbilt has a lot of talent uh, on the mound as, as well. Uh, But, this team just continues to hit and they have so much talent and depth. So to me, it's going to come down to if Tennessee's inexperienced young pitchers continue pitching the way that they have. And can the bullpen be a little more crisp than it has lately? But I do find it ironic that every time Tennessee becomes ranked number one in something, they immediately go and play Vanderbilt. Back in uh, 08 when when Bruce Pearl beat Memphis, they go to Vandy and they lose to Vandy. Uh, and then Rick Barnes a couple of years ago, number one in the country. And it takes 40 points from Grant Williams to, uh, make sure that they don't lose. And then Tennessee baseball becomes number one for the first time ever. And, and they're off the vanity. So it'll be a fun weekend, a very fun, competitive weekend, I think
0: can't wait that's Ben McKee he covers Tennessee for VolQuest.com. He'll be in Nashville this weekend. Nobody's doing it better than Ben McKee on the, on the Tennessee baseball side right now uh, go and uh, get, let's put your Twitter out there Ben for uh, for Tennessee and SEC baseball fans and and where uh, where other people can follow your work.
3: Yeah you can follow me at uh Ben McKee 14 on Twitter.
0: There it is. There it is. Ben McKee has been our guest here on the Door Report. Ben, thanks for taking the time. Enjoy your weekend in Nashville, and uh, I, I would uh, I would advise you to if you, obviously you can go to Broadway, uh, but uh, but I don't know I don't know if uh, that's what Tony Vitello wants his players to be doing th- this weekend. He, he might want them staying distracted.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, after dealing with the Vandy Whistler, you can assure yourself that I'll be <laughs> on uh, on Broadway. I appreciate you, Billy. Thanks, Ben. Have a good one.